0: You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Hear now the word of the Lord. Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready." For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The word of the Lord. Well,
1: one of the things that I, I'm getting to do, I have several of these coming up, but one of the things that's, that's really fun about what I get to do is I get to be involved with um, several weddings and I get to stand right up here with the couple, and I get to officiate the wedding. Uh, And I've got uh, three or so coming up here pretty soon, and one of the things Nikki and I love is we love going and meeting with the couple ahead of time um, to talk about the wedding. And what I find one of my roles is, in fact, perhaps one of my major roles, is to help that couple focus on things that really matter. Because what happens for this couple, usually especially the bride, um, there is something about the wedding day that the details of them become very, very important. And so I will be talking to them, and I'll try to assess very quickly, um, Is this? Uh, are you worried about... Um, what if the flowers aren't perfect and if I pick pick the wrong colors or my dress or, you know, like like where everybody's standing, is it perfect? Like sometimes people can really get into those details and now everything is just recorded 24-7. And so if you have this and you've got pictures and you've got videos, then oh no, whatever we do is going to be preserved forever to be seen and like, stress can just go through the roof about all the different things surrounding that wedding. And so what I usually, if, if that's the case, not everybody does that, but if that's the case, um, I usually, my role is to step in and go, I totally understand why that stuff's important, but you shouldn't care that much. Relax. Yes, we want it to be beautiful. Yes, we want all these things. But really, at the end of the day, do you, I mean, do you know what happens in a wedding? Like, this is one of the things that is so crazy. I get to do this, that I get to walk them through vows that they are going to make to each other, that they are gonna stand and they are gonna say, I promise this to you, and I usually end my vows in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Like these are serious things that you're committing to each other. You have, you have rings to remind you of this. We pray multiple times throughout there. I give them a charge from the scriptures and then I get to stand there and I don't say by the power invested in me by America or the state of Colorado. I say as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I now declare you husband and wife what God has joined together. I quote the scriptures, let no man put asunder or let no man take apart. And I get to have, they get to be there. I get to declare that. I get to see a new family um, formed. Then I say, you may now kiss your bride, which I'm just going to tell you is a little awkward for the pastor, all right? Because they're kissing after this big moment, and the pastor is just sort of standing there, and we're in every picture of the bride and groom kissing. And you don't want to be like, oh, and like, really looking, but you don't want to, you know, be all over. It's really awkward. So, But but you were declaring them husband and wife. They're kissing. And then you say, now turn. And I say, let me introduce to you a new family. And I say, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And and then everybody goes nuts. So you were two when you came in that day, and now you're leaving supernaturally one in the eyes of God, that God has joined you together. So be nice if the flowers are great. It'd be nice if you've got the colors all exactly how you want them and the service flowing exactly how you want it and everybody honored and reading and or singing or whatever. All that stuff is great. But, and this is a very, very big day. Just remember the big thing about the day is two have become one. It's a very big day. And the scriptures talk very clearly, as you heard read, about another day. That is a very big day. It is a day like a wedding that changes everything. And here's essentially what it is. I'll sum it up. That there is a literal, physical return of Jesus Christ to earth in the future in which he will judge sin and redeem his church. Sometimes it's called the day of the Lord, although that's used for multiple, uh, multiple times throughout the scripture. They talk about a great and final day of the Lord when he will return as uh, victor, redeemer, and judge. That he will be the one that returns and he is victorious over sin, Satan, death. That he is the one that rescues and redeems his church, those who are his, those who are forgiven in him. And that he looks. He, he is the rightful judge over all the earth and he comes that day to judge. Now, for me, I'm going to be able to say because you can't have a sin-stained heaven, I'm in trouble, except I can point to the blood of Jesus Christ that has forgiven me, and I trust that and walk in it. And so the judgment that should come to me has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. This idea of the return of Christ is crucial. A guy named Philip Graham Ryken says it like this. It says, he says, Jesus is coming again. His second coming is the next big event in salvation history and one of the main promises of the New Testament. The promise is made in nearly every New Testament book more than 300 times in all. Jesus is coming again. His coming will be personal. Jesus himself will return in his own glorious resurrection body. That's from Philippians chapter 3. His coming will be visible. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. It's Revelation 1. His coming will be glorious. The scripture describes it as the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's from Titus. This personal, visible, glorious return is also imminent. It could happen at any moment. Jesus said, surely I am coming soon. That's Revelation 22 and other places as well. This is the advent that Jesus had in mind when he told his disciples to be ready for the coming of the Son of Man, which is the passage you just heard. So um, it's interesting, as much as I talk to couples getting ready for their wedding, and as much time and effort and energy as we put into that, we also are very interested in not just preparing them for a wedding, but for a marriage. Because the big day is not just about the big day, it's also about what comes after. And this big day is not just about the day, it's about what comes after that makes it such a big day. Jesus is on, um, in this text, he's on quite a teaching run. He's just said, um, life is short. He's made comments like that. He said, uh, don't worry. We've talked about that for a couple of weeks, which is He gives the perspective of, hey, life is short, and then you go, all right, so that that helps put my worries in perspective. Today, I think even just hearing about this, it can help even more so, just put our worry in perspective. He talked about um, storing up treasures in heaven which is the the fascinating thing about this is um, we often think the more I get, the more free I will now be. I won't have this stress and this weight. And so more money equals more freedom in my life and freedom from anxiety. But we also know the exact opposite is true. You get money, you get this kind of a lifestyle, and then all of a sudden it is, can I see the next rung on the ladder and get more? Or, now that I have this, I have to maintain it, and I have to maintain it. And Jesus says, be loose with your money. Be free with your money. This thing of, no, I'm controlling it, actually, it is controlling you. And he says, stop it. He's giving this different perspective to them. And then he's going to do, he's going to tell these two parables. And I'm going to focus on one here um, today that you heard read. And it starts out in verse 35. It says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. The whole thing he's giving is this picture of judgment day and he's talking about someone returning and when Christ returns, the servants are ready and then he's gonna talk about on that day, there are some who will not be ready. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. The idea of lamps burning is um, a good servant would keep oil in the lamp. So when the master returns and says, come on, we're going, you don't have to go, hang on, I gotta go get oil for the lamp. He just takes the lamp and it's ready to go. And you can follow. And then when it says stay dressed for action, um, they had the men in that day would wear these long robes. And if they had to go to battle or if they had to go do some kind of physical activity, they would have to kind of hike them up a little bit and get them above the knees so they could run or do whatever. And so what they would do is they would pull it up, and if they were gonna, you know, be going for some distance, they would pull it up and they would tie a belt, tie a rope, basically around it. And um, he's. That's what he's talking. When he says, stay dressed for action, he's, it's this idea of go ahead and tie that belt and be ready to move. This comes from um, the Exodus. In, uh, Exodus chapter 12, they're having their first Passover meal. They're in slavery right now. And Jesus says, you're gonna eat this Passover, or God says, you're gonna eat the Passover meal. And he says, in this manner shall you eat it, the Passover meal, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Because what's about to happen? Pharaoh's about to get it. And the Israelites have to be ready to go. And so God says, eat this Passover meal ready to go. And he says, here Jesus is saying, these people, it's a picture of them being ready for the master, for Christ, to return. This would almost be like if you went to someone's house and you went to go have, uh, you went to go have dinner over there and um, they are fully decked out, they've got the beanies on, maybe the scarf is wrapped, maybe you know zip down the jacket a little bit, but they're sitting inside, and they've got all their winter gear on, you think you can hear the car running outside, you would look at them and you would go, I feel like you're just ready to go at any minute. Different from um, a lot of, maybe parents can relate to this, like carpools in the morning, you ever had like carpool drive up and you got maybe a little kid and you're like, the carpool's here. Why are you still in your jammies? Where's your backpack? Eat this muffin and your seven things in them. And they're, and they're taken off and you go, they gotta be ready. They've gotta be ready. They've gotta be ready. Here the picture is the master returns and people are ready. It's, I am living ready to go. It says, be like the men, verse 36, who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Why? So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. He's saying, live your life in this state of perpetual readiness for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about living a life of Obedience is really what he's getting to, which if that doesn't sit right with us, I'm just, I'm just gonna tell you, you're going to serve somebody with your life. You might be somebody who says, I just I care so much about, I'm such a people pleaser. You're basically trying to serve all those people. Like that's who you have made your master. Or more, more prominently in our world today, who are we serving? Ourselves. Like we serve somebody. This is the good master, Jesus Christ. That we get to serve. The Christian demonstrates that he's ready, understanding the gospel, and then in response to it, living for the things of heaven, living as though the return of Christ really is imminent. That's what he's saying. And he says, Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when he comes. And now it takes a surprising turn. Truly I say to you, he, the Master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. Servants are waiting. The master comes in. They're ready to go. And when the master gets there, it's saying he comes and he serves them and he brings blessing to them. Now, this idea of a master who comes to serve should remind you of something. Another time he was with his disciples, or sorry, another time that Jesus was eating, it talks about going in and dining, and when he became, the master became the servant. In John 13, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And this is during supper. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, "'Rose from supper. "'He laid aside his outer garments "'and taking a towel, tied it around his waist.'" And then he did the very thing a servant was supposed to do in that day. "'He poured water into a basin, "'began to wash the disciples' feet, "'and to wipe them with the towel "'that was wrapped around him. "'He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet? "'Wait, you're the master. "'Why in the world are you coming to serve me?' "'Jesus said, what I am doing, "'you do not understand now, "'but afterward you will understand.'" Peter said, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And then Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. The picture of Jesus looking around and going, the servant didn't do this. And so I will get up and serve the people. And let me just say, too, because when we talk about Christ as master, I get why in our day and age, you might think like master, that sounds um, like master-slave relationship, like master-servant, like that may just not sit right with us. But notice what he says about this master. The master in the day was the one who sovereignly ruled the house. And what he's saying is the master who's returning is the one who sovereignly rules all. And the reason we kind of pull back from like, ooh, the master maybe language is because they could be jerks. They could abuse their power. And what does Jesus do? What does the master do? He came to serve. He came to bring blessing. And he says, if he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. He says, they persevere to the end. We are living a life in anticipation of Christ's return. Friends, don't tire of doing that. I did this with, um, I've done this, oh, I've done it a couple dozen times with students. You should steal this. This is good. I did this with students. Um, <clears throat> we, um, uh, we would give them an exercise talking about being ready for Christ's return and to try and say, don't get, don't be, don't get weary in doing good, essentially. And so we would give them, we put a, usually we did it different, but like a basket and they'd pull out little strips of paper that had tasks written on them. And they would have to go and they would have to grab the task. And they couldn't show it to anybody. I'm sure they did. But they would look at it. And then we were there. This is like at a youth group. They would get their task. And the tasks were things like um, uh, go walk, just walk around the room in circles and don't talk to anybody. The task was um, lay down and every one minute do one push-up. The tasks were go over and pretend you're taking a nap. Like they were little things like that. We had, I remember we'd always do one that was go over in the corner and cluck like a chicken, which I'd give to the kid. I'm like, nah, I don't really like this kid. We'll let you, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. But it was funny. Like the kid that would really get into it, we'd usually give it to him, usually a boy. We'd give it to him and have him, and he'd be over in the corner. Somebody's like pretending to sleep, and then he's over, and like doing the chicken thing over in the corner, And we would always, we would step out of the room and we'd say, we'll be right back. And we'd step out of the room and then we would give it a minute and you could hear for the first 30 seconds, oh, they were going for it someone's sleeping, somebody walking around. We'd have them, you have to carry on a conversation and cling on or just some random language and they'd have to just start babbling and you could sort of hear it and hear it and hear it. And then you'd, uh, and then we'd sort of you know, pop open the door and just peek in a little bit. It would start to lose steam after about minute two. The clucking got a little quieter. People lost their energy. They knew we were coming back. And then we did it several different times. We have milked it for like 10 minutes before, just sitting outside and watching. And you know what happens is then, and then of course we'd we'd open the door really loudly so they would hear it, and open the door and go to walk in. And of course you know exactly what would happen. They've just kind of stopped and then they see us and all of a sudden, lay down, go walk around the room, let's keep up our conversation and cling on, like all of a sudden it ramps back up right as we walk in the room. And our lesson for that day is Christ is coming, don't get weary in doing good. It's easy for us to forget this. Christ is returning. And sometimes I really do think that we go, well, right when he returns, what I'll do is I'll just sort of sprint to the finish line. I'll just sort of rush and sort of, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus, I didn't see you. And, and just kind of like get things together instead of what he's calling them to do, which is to say, live as though I might be here tomorrow. Live as though the end is coming. Live as though I might return tomorrow. And don't weary in doing the things that he has called us to do. And here, one of the things he's saying is, Master. He is Lord. There is a temptation we can have in our Christian faith, I just want to mention, which is we can start out understanding that Christ is Lord and Savior of our lives professing that and trusting in that and over time if we're not careful what can happen especially as we see the world just going crazy we can look at our own morality and think I'm doing pretty great I've maybe lost the lordship stuff that I, I know he is here but I did that back then I remember that but as we move along I'm, I'm really now drifting towards being moral and in the back of my mind he's lord And what he's calling us to do is say, push to the front of your mind, my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Then he's gonna say, will the return be a blessing for all? And the answer is no. And this is where it can get a little confusing. So let me try, I'm going to, I'll tell you what it says and then I'll, I'll try and, exp- um, I'll read it to you then I'll try and explain it here a little better. He's switching to the negative now. So somebody, there was an arrival that was unexpected. They should have been ready for it and they were ready for it, but they didn't know the time. And now there's another arrival that's happening that he's describing. And this arrival is not to bless Uh, but to burgle, so to speak. Look at this, verse 39. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Now, um, Satan is frequently referred to as a thief, but I wanna read you three other scriptures to show you that one of the things he's talking about is the thief doesn't place a phone call and say, I'm gonna rob you tonight. That it is surprising when it happens. And so he's continuing his idea of the return of Christ is going to be quick and unexpected. Let me just prove this to give you my support for it here from three other scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter five, listen to the the words of a thief in the night. Um, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is clearly talking about the end. In um, In Revelation, he writes seven letters to churches, one of them to Sardis. The church in Sardis says, remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent, and if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. What is all this talking about? He's talking about there's an, there's an imminent return of Christ. It could happen at any time, but it is also in a sense unannounced that it will go fantastic for those of us who say, I trust Christ. I'm ready. I'm spiritually prepared for this. I, I, I long for this. But he also says there's gonna be loss to those who are not prepared. One commentator says, just as the master of the house who is not constantly on the watch is surprised and robbed by the thief, so also are those who are not ready for his second coming. They will suffer irrevocable loss. His coming will bring with it their everlasting destruction. I mentioned earlier, the wedding is not the point. Just the day is not the point. It's the marriage. It's the things that follow. And Jesus is saying there is a day And be ready because of the gravity of what follows. The point of the parable is simply be ready for his return. He says that in verse 40. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Uh, A couple different ways to apply what we've heard. Um, First of all, uh, if you're here and you're not a Christian, can I just tell you that you and I have something in common? That in and of ourselves, we are not worthy of heaven. The only reason that I will be there, the only reason that I am in right relationship with the Lord is because I trust in what Jesus Christ has done. That the judgment that should have fallen to me instead fell on him. And I trust him. I have declared him master, and I'm ready. I'd encourage you don't put it off another day. Trust Jesus Christ. Christians, this should really spur us to evangelize. If we think about this coming, it should spur us to evangelize. It should spur us to be ready, to be prepared to live this life of Christian service. I also also do have to say, I get why someone might be going, really, we're supposed to live as though Christ might return at any moment? Because this was 2,000 years ago that he said this. And his final return is still in our future. Isn't that a waste of time? Uh, No, but I'll tell you why. One thing to consider is that um, it may not be that he comes back to us, but we will definitely be going to him. And number two, um, what Jesus is doing is he's giving them a beautiful framework, a beautiful filter through which they can see how, what they think and how they act, what they do, by saying, live as though Christ might return tomorrow. There's a great filter for how you live your life. Think about that. That's one of the things he's trying to give them. And I challenge you to name another one. Name another one that would work, uh, that would work better. Now, my kids, though, of course, would go, oh, great, well, I'm not gonna do my homework then because Jesus is gonna to return tomorrow. What he's talking about is to be spiritually prepared for his return. You know what it does, though? If you bomb that test, sure puts it in perspective, doesn't it? So go study, kid. That's what I'll tell him. Puts our money in perspective. The other thing he's just talked about, puts stress in perspective. And here's what the same guy I quoted earlier, Reich, and here's what he says. He says um, something, excuse me. He says, being ready means praying for the kingdom to come, Asking God to expand his rule in our own lives, in the church, in our community, and around the world, it also means devoting our lives to Christian service. Given what the parable says about servants and masters, probably this should be our primary application. If we are God's servants, we need to be busy teaching God's word, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, visiting prisoners caring for children helping the elderly or doing whatever humble service we have the ability and the opportunity to do time is short and we need to make the most of it the son of man may come today tonight or tomorrow but whenever he comes jesus says we must be ready are you ready or not the idea is that we are standing ready to serve I was, in, uh, I was in New York City, and a guy told me about a restaurant. I, I cannot tell you which one it is. Maybe some of you that spent time there will know. Um, he said, the restaurant, best food you'll ever get, best service you'll ever get. I said, what do you mean? He told me about some Italian place that used to be in a real nice part. Now it's pretty dangerous. And uh, this was probably 15 years ago or so. It was, it was dangerous. They used to have kind of like the, the, the bellman or whatever that would stand outside and open the door for you, you know, as you walk in, that kind of thing. And he would just stand there and wait. For someone to come now as it got and there were three different doors you had to go through to get in and uh, at every one there was somebody there to open the door and then you get to the next one and somebody to open the door and you get there and the next one someone's there to open the door you didn't even have to go and push a little door like on its hinge you didn't have to do that someone would get it for you and now the guy would um he said they would the because it was a little dangerous they wouldn't stand outside they would stand inside And so as they would stand inside, he said it was the weirdest feeling. He said he and his wife go once a year, it's super expensive. They would walk up to the door and he said, it's like the door magically opened um, right as we got there. And he found out why that was the case as he went in is because on the door, there wasn't like a big window. There was a little peephole. And there'd be the guy standing there like this, looking out for somebody to come. And They stood ready to serve. Doors would get open for you. You would walk in. They had a camera that was out there watching, and they would look, and someone at the thing could go, okay, there's three of them. They may want a kid's menu. You walk in. The doors fly open for you, and then someone's there, and there's someone to meet you going, hi, welcome. I've got your menus. Why don't you come over here with me, and we'll go sit, and they take you right to their seat, and they've got all the menus and everything for you, and then he said it's the most amazing dining experience because um, when you eat, he said, literally, like, you'd finish your water and set it down, and he felt like as he's setting it down, someone's coming over and going, bloop, 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 and filling it up. He said one time they were there, and his wife um, dropped a fork on the floor, dropped it on the floor, and she went, oh, and she kind of shuffled over to get it, and she reached down, and as she reached down, someone said, I'll get it, picked it up, and handed her a new fork wrapped in a napkin and gave it to her. And I said, how in the world is that possible? And he described this to me. This, I'm sure it's not the only restaurant that does this. He finally started asking people. And then he realized that if you looked, if, as he looked up on the wall, there was a, um, as you're looking at it, it looked like a mirror, but on the other side, you could see through it, and it was the kitchen. And people were standing in the kitchen, and their only job was to stand like this and watch. Table four looks like he's about done with water. Someone runs out with water. She just dropped her fork. Somebody runs out with a fork. They're just done with their meal. Somebody just runs out and goes and gets their stuff and brings it in. And I have this image of somebody just standing there looking and waiting to say, how can I serve? They're ready. That's what he's talking about. When I was a kid, I heard something that I thought was the goofiest thing I've ever heard. I think I remember where I was, and I, but I have such a foggy memory of it, but I'll never forget what the guy said because I thought it was crazy. I was probably middle school, high school, and I thought it was crazy. that um, He said that he is so looking forward to Jesus returning that whenever he on Sunday would walk out of church, he would walk out and he would stop and he said every single Sunday when he walked outside, he would go, not today, and walk off. And he said as he did that over time, he actually like started to get excited walking out and starting to go, "Ah, no, not today. But I'm gonna go live like he's coming. I remember hearing that and going, what a goofy thing. I can't believe that. And I got done with the thing and I walked outside and I went... I do this sometimes when I leave church here, between here and my house. I don't know what it is. I heard it when I was a kid. Actually, I know when it started was, because we've been here about seven years now, it was the first snow season, first snowfall when we were here, and I was leaving church and heading home. I hadn't thought about this in years. And for some reason, it came back to my mind, and I looked up at the snow as it was falling. And as I looked up at the snow, I just kind of did this. And it came back to mind. That's how we live, that Christ may return, be ready.